So, Roger, why don't you come on up here? Uh, Roger Lone's going to come up and read our scripture passage this morning, Genesis 2, verses 4 through 25. I encourage you guys, uh, it'll be on the screens, but uh, take your Bibles out or phone or tablet and follow along with us. I promise not to sing this time. Uh, <laughs> these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush on the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made me to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and, beca and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is one that flowed through around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Jehan. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east out of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, you are surely you may surely eat out of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Love you, Christy. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Thank you, Roger. Someone told me recently, actually, that... Um, when they first met Roger, were intimidated by him, by the length of his hair and how tall he was. Uh, once you get to know him, you realize just how awesome, kind he is, loving toward his, his wife. Speaking of spouses, I was strictly warned by my own spouse in looking at verse 25 when she learned what I was preaching this morning not to refer to her or our marriage or just to stay away from that verse in general. 
she didn't trust me enough that she's supposed to be here in service, but she's actually like doing the kids' ministry this morning. So pray for me when we get there. There is an idea, a phrase out there, maybe you've heard of it, called a uh, God-shaped vacuum or God-shaped hole that we all have inside of us. That we were created by God only for God and only God can fill that, that void, that hole inside of us. It's this um, aching or, or longing or this, this itch that only God can, can scratch. Maybe you've, you've felt this longing in your life for happiness or to be content or for something after this life, for, for, for goodness, for true, honest, deep, not fake, but good relationships, just a good life. All of things, things kind of point to just this void we have that only God can fill. In 398 AD, Augustine, in his Confessions, wrote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Or in the 1600s, uh, Pascal wrote this, just beautiful poetry. He says, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace this he tries in vain to fill with everything around him seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are though none can help since the infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. I think we find this very same idea in the very beginning in the Bible, in the book of Genesis. We've been walking through Genesis. We've finally gotten to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, we get these hints of of. Something strange, something odd, actually. Maybe you heard this as Roger was reading. He mentioned tree of good and evil. Something being not good. There's a command, do not do this. Even death is mentioned. Now, for all of chapter 1, the very beginning, it talks about God creating everything from Sharks to salamanders to sycamore trees to everything. He, he spoke out and spun out galaxies and suns and moons, cows, crickets, all things, and us. And every single time, he, he says he saw that it was good. The creation of the earth, the waters, us, good, good, good. And finally, he looks at all of them and says, it is very Good. So now this, this good, very good creation, we have this, this knowledge of evil added and something being not good. It's as if God is setting something up so that we will seek out him 
to see our greatest need in him. I think about this thing you sometimes see on the internet where somebody will find something. Maybe it's been lost in their garage for years or uh, they find it in a state sale or um, those, those magnet fishing things. They throw in the water and find something and they have no idea what it is. And they'll post on the internet like, what, what is this tool? What is this thing? And somebody who has used it or maybe even created it says, oh yeah, that does this. Oh yeah, I've used that. It's something similar we're going to see here as, as God begins to speak about how he created us, how he gave us certain things, and that we have this longing, this desire for something mysterious, something more, and that in the end, we're going to come back to only Jesus can fulfill all of these longings that we truly have. So let's just kind of walk through this and see how did God be gracious to us and give us these things. So number one, if you're following along, if you want to take notes on your paper here, we see that God gave us life. Randy Alcorn, author, pastor, he says, God is the greatest giver in the universe. He won't let you outgive him. Go ahead and try. See what happens. He begins with the awesome gift of life for you, for me. And how do you outgive God in this? He gave you the very breath that you breathe. You are not alive by some accidental, arbitrary, you know, if you get into science, kind of evolutionary structure uh, that somehow life came from non-life, but God began us. He began life. He is the one that made us alive. We start in verse 4, there's this phrase, these are the generations. I've been mentioning there's, there's themes throughout the book of Genesis. This is one of those themes, if you read the entire book, it keeps coming back to this. It's going to talk about the generations of Noah, the generations of future people. And, and now he's talking about the generations of the heavens and the earth and how they were created. We talk about these themes of blessing and good and fruitful and multiply and God. And it repeats this phrase from chapter 1, that the heavens and the earth were created. And then it kind of begins to retell the, the creation account of chapter 1. But if chapter 1 is this kind of grand, uh, from 10,000 foot view, from God's view of how we create everything, chapter 2 zooms in on the first individual's Man, woman, Adam, Eve. And it says that everything was kind of incomplete in some way until something was created. The earth was made. Uh, there's, there's vegetation in the ground, but nothing has sprung up yet. God has not brought rain. There's no man, no humanity to work it. There's this kind of mist or springs that kind of bring up the water to the ground, but it's kind of waiting for humanity, the, the pinnacle of God's creation, to come and to bring life to it. So God, in this 
looking down microscopic view, he creates us. And he starts with one single man. He takes dust, dirt, and creates one man. There is some humility in this to know that we are just created from the dust, from the dirt. When you feel jealous of somebody else, see their picture on Instagram or Facebook or somebody famous or your friends or their vacation they're going on or whatever it is, just, just know they are made from dust, just like you and me. Maybe just they're more attractive dirt than, than you. <laughs> but God takes this, this dirt man and then he <sighs> breathes into him. You know, my kids are 11, 9, and 6. And I had the terrible experience last night of taking my daughter, my only daughter, to a school dance last night. Like watching all the boys out there like, stay away! She's just oblivious, you know, like no desire at all. But I can remember when they were just babies. <laughs> you know, that just sweet like time to be cuddling together and you you get so close to them you can just like smell their breath and breathe you just that idea of being close <laughs> or in, in an intimate husband wife relationship that, that closeness this is the picture here we have this intimate god breathing life into this person that, this is the care that he took to create this first human. And he takes the same care in your creation too. Psalm 139, verse 13 on, he says, For you, God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, what as yet there was none of them. So we are this combination of uh, flesh, dirt, physical stuff, and breathed out soul. We are physical and spiritual. Both are so important for us to believe in and to care of. But, I mean, if we're, we're honest, sometimes life, it, it stinks. <laughs> it is hard. We have death. Uh, we have suicide, I mean, things that are the opposite of God giving us life. And I want to say to you, you know, if you are here, you're, you're struggling, if you're at that point of, of thoughts of suicide or why am I even alive, like we are here to be for you, to pray for you, come alongside you. I think there is this longing that God has given us for life, it's only found in Jesus. But let's go on in our passage here. Verse 10. 
God places this man in a garden. God gave us a garden paradise. Right? It's talked about even in verse 8 and 9. God planted a garden. He put the man there. There's these trees. There's water to water it. This theme of this garden keeps coming up in chapter 2. It's mentioned over and over again. This food that's there, it's pleasant. It's good for food. God didn't put the first man in a desert, um, Antarctica, Nebraska, you know, like he put him in, okay, not as many laughs for that one. He put him in a garden, a lush place. It's lush, it's full of fruit and vegetables, flowers, you know, he can walk and he can just kind of pick his food, apple, onion, orange, mushrooms, I don't know if mushrooms were around then or not, or after the fall, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have had gardens in your life or planted them. This is before the fall, before sin comes in and creates weeds and thorns and all that. We've had gardens um, since we've been married. Colorado, Missouri, here, and we've got tomato plants, habaneros. But I am constantly fighting against weeds, squash bugs, cats, rabbits. But this is like the, the place beyond all that, beyond all this stuff that's trying to get at the garden. Now Adam is just walking in this beautiful place. God began us in a paradise. It's rich, luxuriant, it's beautiful. <laughs> it reminded me of a song when I was in high school. I don't know if you ever heard of the band Everclear. There was this song that, that talked about, I will buy you a new life. And she, he's trying to woo this girl. And he begins with, I will buy you a garden where your flowers can bloom. I will buy you a new car, perfect, shiny, and new. I will buy you that big house way up in the West Hills. I'll buy you a new life. There's this longing that we all have for a good, a pleasant place, right? To find the perfect, heavenly place to live what we're all about, right? And we, all, we have HGTV shows or um, all kinds of places, movies, TV shows about having the perfect home and finding that. Or, or we see it in our culture and I think in Hollywood or uh, this idea of, of legacy. We want to live on past we have to always be remembered well and to have good things. We have this longing for Goodness and paradise because God placed us there first. But I think one of the biggest questions we struggle with in this, this life is, okay, yeah, I could have a big house, I could have a job, but do I really have purpose? Meaning, is there something behind what I do? Do I just, you know, go to school forever and take out loans and pay them back forever, work a job I don't like forever, retire, have grandkids, and then die? Like, is that just my life? Is that what's... God gave us purpose from the start. He says to this first man, Adam... I want you to 
work. I want you to keep it. It's interesting in verse 15, it says God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. This word put is, is similar to the word rest. We've seen that, right? Early in chapter 2 of God resting. So this is a strange place, a garden of restful working. But he's to work it, he's to keep it, and these these words come up later on, especially in Exodus and Leviticus, of, of work and keep related to like spiritual uh, serving things. They're related to keeping the commands of God, obeying God's word. Um, the, the priests are given these same words, keep, worship, serve the Lord. So these are, he's not just kind of turning back the apple trees and watching the garden and the monkeys. No, he's, he's doing something restful, work, spiritual. And then he's given this, well, two commands. This is the first time in the Bible we have God not only speaking, speaking to man, but saying, here are things you should do and not do. You can eat of any tree that is out there, but do not eat of this particular one, for you will surely die. It makes me think about like some of those cartoon shows I used to watch as a kid, and there'd be some you know, room that they're put in, and there's a button there that says, do not push. Seems simple enough, but as we'll see next week, that curiosity, that desire goes wrong. But this is simply that, that God gives man, gives Adam these commands, gives him this job, this work. You are to do these things. This is your purpose, your meaning. You have meaning. You have purpose in your life. God has amazing plans, purpose for you. Maybe you've figured those out. Maybe you haven't yet. But he has plans and purpose for you. Now, last kind of big point. I've kind of I've walked through these early ones a little quicker because I want to get to this one, 18 to 25. God shows man, Adam, this first guy, that he needs community. And really, he gives to all of us community and marriage. We, we were made for companionship, for friendship. Remember I was saying earlier that it's so strange that chapter 1, it, it over and over again says, it is good, it is good. He creates the sky, the moon, the stars, animals, they are good but all of a sudden, in verse 18, God speaks again and says, it is not good. He, he creates us in a way that it's not good. We're incomplete by ourselves. We are not made to be hermits or, or monks. I don't know if you've seen the, the, the TV show Alone. It's this... Uh, show where they, they, they kind of give people their, their contestants and they put them out in the wild and have them survive for as long as they can 
given video cameras, that kind of thing. Um, I've, I've actually thought about like Aaron Quinn, who was on the video here, or Karen's husband. He would do really well with that. I thought about asking him to just like go in our backyard space here and like survive for the winter. Not, not because he's like really antisocial. He's a great guy. He's good to talk to. But he's very handy like with wood and projects and I think he could hunt stuff with his hands and just he'd be fine. But we were made for each other, for community. And this is just a general thing for all of us. It's not good for any of us to be alone. In fact, if you are here this morning, if you came alone this morning, like I'm so pleased, so happy that you are here this morning in the community of believers. We, we need you. We need your, your gifts, your companionship. I mean, just thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. And so God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, a, a helper fit for him. That phrase comes up later again, verse 20, uh, an helper fit for him. Now he's talking about the first woman, Eve. And ladies out there, before you think this is some sort of negative, like just a helper, or this phrase is used later on to, for God to describe himself, I am your helper. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a help to you. This is, this is not something derogatory or mean. This is special. This is good. And it's someone fit for him, like him, but as we'll see, different. And so instead of just creating a um, woman right away, he wants to, I think, teach this first man, teach Adam about his need for companionship, um, to do the work together. So he, he presents Adam with all of these animals and says, I want you to name all these animals. He's naming them, you know, aardvark, elephant, sasquatch, you know, whatever. He's just going through. And I think eventually, like, he starts seeing something. He starts seeing, okay, there's a bull and a cow. There's a deer and a buck. There's a horse and a, a filly? Is that the right word? I wrote that down. I, I'm, I don't know. But he begins to realize something, I think, and then God kind of even speaks it and says, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. Again, I think this is a universal thing for, for, for all of us to think about doesn't matter if you're married or not, that, that no animal, no um, program, no structure will fulfill you like somebody else, like community around you. With that phrase, man's best friend, like a dog can fulfill that in us somehow. No. Um, you know, maybe Adam is thinking along these lines of like, well, okay, there's these things coming to me. Maybe like a goat could be my helper or mongoose or an okapi. No, none of them fit. So God does something different. Instead of taking from the dirt, he takes from Adam. He takes a rib and creates woman. I think this is significant. He doesn't take from, from his feet 
to, to say to the woman, you must be below. He doesn't take from Adam's head to say that she is now above, but it's, it's, it's a rib, it's on the side. There's some sort of equality, togetherness about this. And there's almost this, I think, a picture of a, a wedding going on here in verse kind of 22 and on. I mean, God then presents her, God the Father presents the woman to the man. And I've always kind of just thought of this verse 23 as Adam, you know, I did, I did two weddings last weekend and you know, I always like to look at how when the husband, the groom sees the bride come in for the first time and the look on his face, like that's what I picture here, Adam just like, wow, this, this is from me. There's even this language in Hebrew of um, man and woman are ish and isha. There's similarity there. So this is really important too for us as believers to think about, right, that the God created marriage, not the government, not any kind of uh, structure that we have, not the church, not aliens, not anything else. God creates marriage. One man, one woman. And he does this in such a, a unique, special way. And it changes all of a sudden in verse 24 and 25 to be about not just these first two people, but about marriage in the future, right? It mentions, um, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother. Like Adam has no mom and dad. He has no belly button probably. Like he's, it's talking about the future. This beginning of Adam and Eve and community and marriage is all looking to what's going to happen for us even still today about marriage. These, these important things that, that are talked about that you will leave your family of origin and you will then cleave, hold fast to your spouse. Becoming one flesh. This vulnerable, naked, unashamed relationship. Since I've been, you know, back from sabbatical over the summer, um, marriages just been really heavy on my heart. Adrian and I, we, we took some time over the summer to work on our marriage. Really helpful and glad for that. But I, I want to just present these to you and just, if you are hurting, struggling in your marriage, that you would come and get help, you would pray, you would seek out something more. Husbands out there, these, this is the strong command to you that Jesus gives later on in the New Testament through Paul. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and, and gave himself up for her. That's the, the standard, husbands, to love your wives. Wives, take time for your husbands to love them, to do date nights together, to, to focus on each other, to save, to leave, to cleave to each other. This, this one flesh idea. There's this idea that when I go through pre-marriage counsel, this is more than just a commitment. This is a, a covenant, a strong relationship. Strong commitment covenant that is being made together. 
And the truth is that marriage, community, relationships, all of these things today are hurting. We have lots of shame and and sin and divorce in, in marriages. So this is how God sets things up. And I think it's not until we see Jesus come on the scene that Jesus says, I have something better for you. You feel it, this yearning on the inside, this stuff of you know, the garden and life and community and all these things. If I have been convinced of one thing this past year, it is that Jesus is better. There are so many things you can put your life into or philosophies or stuff you can look at on TikTok or whatever, but Jesus is so much better for your life. Jesus will give you new life. 1 John 5, 11 to 12 says, This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I mean, God, he first breathes life into Adam. And then he comes again to breathe life into us. going to be born again, have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us and says, you are free from the wages of sin and death. You can receive the free gift of Jesus from here until forever. Jesus comes and says, I will give you not just a new life now, but in the next life, a a new garden even. It's so cool how the Bible begins with a garden and ends with a garden picture. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw that the new heavens, the new earth, the end is coming. The first heaven, the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. There is a dwelling place, a garden, a place for us. And in verse 9, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife, the lamb. He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. There's jewels and gold just like the Garden of Eden. And then chapter 22, it goes on, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of the Lamb, life bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God, the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The tree of life comes back. There's the same thing. And Jesus offers us this new place, this new garden to be. He even offers us a new purpose. It's not just to work and to be here and to die, but Paul says about his new purpose in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And finally, Jesus gives us a new community. 
we get this little taste of it here, this little taste of heaven, of people out here that are different from you, live different places, look different, and then in heaven, we get the same thing. Revelation 7, he says, Behold, there was this multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. This is where we are going, where we are headed. But I want to plead with you now that if you're not feeling that, if, it, if this is not... You're not there yet if you want that. We have prayer warriors for you today. We're going to close with one last song. And I'm going to invite those prayer warriors to come stand up here. If you have anything in your, your marriage, your family, you just want to come and receive Christ. Would you come and join them today? Would you pray with me? Father, we long for something more in this life. You gave us this great picture, God, of Adam, of Eve, and the beautiful place that we began. And as we're going to see next week, how it all goes to sin and shame. But, Father, it's only through Jesus, through sending him to die on the cross for our sins, that we can be given these things. And so... God, we come before you with our broken lives, our broken marriages, our broken relationships with our kids, with, with our community and everything around us. And God, we just say, Holy Spirit, come and revive us. Bring us back to you because you are the king that we are waiting for. God, we love you and praise you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.